the relationship between athletes and cannabis has long been decried for its perceived negative association. Thankfully, that misconception is being reshaped as athletes are now experiencing a certain form of liberation, one which has inspired them to move from the shadows and serve as advocates for the medicine that they deem so vital. These stories are worthy of greater attention and will serve to help augment the discourse around medicinal cannabis. The cannabis culture and sport deserves to be celebrated, not maligned. And these conversations will move us in that direction. Welcome to Winning with Cannabis with your host, Bill Bronner. Welcome to Winning with Cannabis. This is your host, Bill Bronner. I am joined today by um, Riley Cody, a person who I've come to admire the more that I've learned about him. Um, Riley is a former professional hockey player, uh, left winger of memory service, right? And played professionally for eight years, uh, most notably four of which were in the NHL with, uh, with Philadelphia. And uh, welcome to the show, Riley. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, happy to have you. Um, so obviously, you know, the majority of your career has been absorbed in the sport of hockey. Uh, how did that evolve? What got you into it? I'm, I imagine you probably started off as a, a young kid. So if you don't mind, kind of paint the picture, where'd you grow up and um, what were the steps that uh, led you in the direction of uh, hockey and ultimately a professional hockey player? Yeah, sure. I grew up uh, in the middle of Canada, Winnipeg, Manitoba. And uh, like most Canadian children, you, you play hockey, right? Uh, there's not a lack of ice, uh, whether it's indoors or outdoors. Um, so, you know, just based on logistics, uh, I landed up playing hockey. Um, started playing organized hockey at the age of four. I think I was on the ice, you know, on skates at, at three years old. But, uh, I mean, I was in my blood. My parents uh, had season tickets to the Winnipeg Jets, um, you know, I was as long as I could remember and as early as I can remember, I just loved hockey, loved the Jets, loved, you know, getting on the ice and and playing hockey. You know, as I grew older, obviously it evolved from, you know, playing half ice hockey to full ice hockey and to checking. And as you grow older, there's obviously more pressure and more competition. Then you're playing AAA travel, all this stuff. Uh, I was drafted to the Western Hockey League when I was 15. I moved away from home when I was 16 to uh, the Western Hockey League. I played in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan for four years um, and it was never drafted. And is, that, is that a junior hockey league, Riley? Junior hockey league, yep. yep. It's under the umbrella of the Canadian Hockey League and then it's in the western part of Canada from Manitoba all the way to British Columbia. So as, as close as you're going to get to pro from 16 to 20 years old, um, most guys, uh, in those, you know, I say most guys, I mean, that's where most of the guys that are draft eligible are drafted out of, uh, besides, uh, the college uh, route, which is, uh, you know, doesn't compete with the Western league or the junior leagues, but never drafted, uh, always envisioned playing in the NHL, always had that dream, you know, ever, ever since I was a kid, you know, wanting to wear an NHL Jersey and play. And, you know, I always thought I was going to be Wayne Gretzky scoring, you know, 50, 70, hundred goals a year, whatever. And, you know, because when you're younger, you're you know a, a big fish in a small pond, and as you grow older and you play in these more advanced leagues, you realize the competition is is serious. You know, these guys are really good hockey players, and they train to be you know pro hockey players. So I realized that after not being drafted after my third years of of junior hockey, where I had decent numbers, I had 27 goals and you know 54 points, wherever it ended up being, but nothing significant in the grand scheme of offensive players. So when I turned 20, I ended up going to Toronto Maple Leafs training, an opportunity to either go back to junior for an overage year, would have been my fifth year, or turn pro. So I went to Toronto Maple Leafs camp, 
with a new um, a new plan. And the plan was to basically to go into camp like an idiot and, and run guys and fight guys. So <laughs> during the off season, I trained, uh, you know, it's kind of mentally prepared to do that. And that was the role I kind of took on was this, uh, you know, this enforcer role, um, fighting, um, essentially being an energy guy, uh, a, a fourth line grinder, basically realizing the guys that were getting called up to the NHL were the guys with lots of goals and, and points and lots of penalty minutes. And back then there was still, uh, there was still, um, a job description for a guy like me. And, uh, that's what I did. So I went to Toronto Maple Leafs uh, training camp, first shift ran Travis green, Darcy Tucker came at me two punched him. And then just, uh, started embracing this role. You know, I just, uh, I landed up in the, in, mainly in the uh, central hockey league that year and won a championship. And I played, I think, uh, seven or eight games with, uh, St. John's Maple Leafs who they were affiliated with, uh, that, that year. And then, um, However, the long and short of it is just kind of battled my way out of the Central Hockey League. Next year, I played in the in the East Coast Hockey League up and down with Dayton, uh, or uh, with uh, Syracuse, sorry, in the American Hockey League, which was affiliated with Columbus Blue Jackets. And then that, that next year was 2004-2005, the, the previous lockout. And I landed up um, getting a call from Ron Hextall, who was the you know, assistant GM of the Phantoms, which is the Flyers minor league team. And got an opportunity to sign a PTO, which was a 25-game tryout. And the of that one was I landed up signing four of those throughout the year and won a Calder Cup in the American Hockey League. Fighting my way through all these leagues, 30, 35 fights a year. Um, not even focusing on scoring goals at all. Just you know, just total meat stick. Uh, you know, just absorbed this role, just this identity that was a game within a game for me. And, um, you know, landed up fight, fighting my way out of the American Hockey League and finding my way to the NHL. And... Uh, Played four you know, parts of four years there, 150, 156 games or something like that. And uh, yeah, man, it was it was a wild ride. And then eventually, I had to pull the pin on it because it was just uh, it was eating me up. You know, the, the the physical component was one thing, but it was more the emotional and spiritual component that really kind of uh, dragged me down. It just wasn't uh, it just wasn't you know fi- finding that happiness and fulfillment that I thought I would of you know living my my childhood dream. I'm playing the NHL. Unfortunately, I was just playing in the NHL, being a meathead and fighting, uh, and trying to fight every other night and, and, uh, you know, not scoring goals and not that it, you know, really mattered in the grand scheme of things, but it certainly, uh, affected my mental health. And that was when I decided to transition into the, the real world and find myself hopping in this quest of holism and, uh, find sustainable ways to manage the mental health and the daily grind of, you know, physical pain, inflammation and, and all, all the above. That's a remarkable journey. I want to uh, turn the clock back a little bit to your time um, as a youth and you were developing and you kind of went through this transitional moment that you called attention to where um, you, you know, kind of came to this realization that in order to prosper in the NHL, you really had to hone your skills in a slightly different way, not be as offense or defense oriented and develop into, uh, for all intents and purposes, a badass. <laughs> and, and really kind of embrace the nature of, uh, I mean, the game in, in it itself is inherently violent, but that particular role that you wanted to grow into um, is arguably the most violent. Um, I'm sure that's debatable, but, you know, your job is to get your ass kicked and kick other people's ass. Right. What what kind of led you to that, um, you know, kind of awakening, like, you know, look, if I'm going to do this, Riley, this is the path, uh, the best path to take. What did you get insights from? other players? Was there a coach that was in here saying, look, Riley, it's hard to break through. And if you do want to break through, 
this might be the best approach to take? How, how did that just kind of come to be? You know, I think it was kind of indirect guidance. No one really told me to do it. Um, I, my first couple of years in Prince Albert, I had a, a former NHL tough guy, Kevin McClelland, uh, as my coach. And I remember as a 16-year-old, um, you know, one game we were losing in Swift Current, and he, you know, he's like, you know, Cote, what the hell are you doing out there? He's like, you haven't done anything. He's like, go fight somebody or, you know what I mean? Something along the lines of that. So sure enough, I go out and fight, you know, 16 years old. I think I fought, you know, out of my four years in juniors, the most that year it landed up being, I think, you know, 11 times or something like that, you know? Um, and, um, I, 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 you know, I, I did, I, I fought and, and I think I appreciated the competition of fighting again. I think in four years I fought maybe 20 times or 22 times. So, you know, insignificant in the grand scheme of things that my job was not a fighter. Um, but I think having that in the back of my mind, that, that moment, uh, really st obviously still sits with me because I can remember it like it was yesterday. Um, and then as I, you know, played my second and third and fourth year was never drafted. I was like, geez, I'm like, what's going on? You know what I mean? Like, how do I break through? And, you know, I don't even have my foot in the door in an NHL team now. I had to kind of sit back and, and, and really kind of do some soul searching. And I was a competitive guy, you know, fighting is obviously not for everybody. So there's nothing more competitive than a one-on-one -on -one combat. So, you know, in my mind, I was always in the gym and doing all these things to, which I thought was helping my hockey career, but it was probably making me stiffer and, you know, actually more uh, or a less functional hockey player. But um, in my mind, I realized I could fight. I, you know, I could do this. I was looking again, looking at the, the, the paper every morning and, and seeing guys getting called up and the transactions and all that. And it was guys, lots of penalty minutes and lots of goals. I was like, geez, I'm like, I'm going up against the best in the world for goal scoring, you know, not just in Western Canada. This is all across North America and the globe. So I, you know, in my mind, I was like, this is, this is the only shot I got. So I, I decided, you know, then and there, you know, I was kind of before this Toronto Maple Leafs training camp, as I mentioned, this is this is who the new Riley Cote is. This is how I'm going to even have a standing chance. I mean, I didn't know in the moment I was ever going to play in the NHL as a, you know as a, as an, a fighter, but I just believed in myself enough and believed in myself, um, you know, that I, I I could do this at least give myself a standing chance. So I just went with that mentality to made you know just made the decision. You know, no one told me to do it. Um, it was something that I felt like I had to do just to fulfill my childhood dream. So. When I decided to do it, I was all in, you know, just, you know, you know, the way I'm wired is just like, if I decide to do something, I'm all in, you know, all in. So I went probably all into a fault where I just like, like all of a sudden started training to be a fighter and I almost forgot about training to be a hockey player. You know what I mean? Like guys are doing skills and I'm going to do an MMA and fighting, you know, Camden cops and all these, you know, these crazy things that I look back on and just laugh at. Um, but, you know, the, the, I guess the positive side of it is that. I was I was so defined by this identity that I landed up having you know a, a short career in the NHL, but at least finding my way to the NHL and learning this adversity along the way, getting my you know face punched in, getting injured, you know all these things that seem to be you know negative, um, but they landed up pushing me to where I needed to be you know in my spiritual life and in my, in my real life. You know that's a bubble. It was a, I was living in a bubble. It wasn't realistic long term. Um, but I learned a lot from it. It got me where I needed to be. I lived my childhood dream, scored one NHL goal on arguably the best goalie in the NHL at the time. 
And, um, you know, uh, it wasn't about that, you know, it was, it's, it's more about now for me is like, how can I help guys not do the same things and make the same mistakes that I did, you know, and, and find, find and help these guys find ways to manage some of the things that I struggled to manage, you know, that was, you know, the, the, the pain and the inflammation and, you know, expressing through a lot of drinking and, you know, these things that eventually took its toll on me, you know I mean? I'd retired at 28. Uh, I had another year in my contract and I, and I pulled the pin on it because I just, I didn't want to fight anymore. You know, I didn't want to do this anymore. I was going to get probably landed up and get sent down to the minor leagues that year. And I just, uh, I needed an exit strategy and I had an opportunity to get into coaching. I, and I, and I did that and it was mainly just to kind of take a you know, nice deep breath in and, uh, and focus on myself, you know, it's just some, you know, from the outsider's perspective, oh yeah, it's everything's great and, and fine and dandy when you're playing the NHL and all that stuff. And it probably is for most guys that are making millions of dollars that are getting paid to score goals, but I wasn't really in that position. So um, for me, it just, you know, just took its toll and, um, and I felt like I needed to move on to the real world and find myself a little more, find out who really, who, who Riley Cote really was. You know, you know, I wasn't a fighter, but you know, I, I, that was a role. It was an identity I took on, but um, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I wouldn't change it for the world, honestly. It was it's amazing how it evolved. It, it's a it's a tribute to you and your work ethic and kind of just resolute nature to power through all of it. Um, you know, achieve the heights that you did and then be able to kind of retain a certain level of dignity and depart the sport on your terms versus the sports terms. So I want to um and I appreciate sharing that. We have to take a, a quick pause for a commercial break and I want to dive into some of what you were discussing about the sport itself and kind of the dark, darker side of it and uh, more specifically what you're doing to help um, kind of, you know, change the, the course of for, for future players in the league. Our advertisers are winners. Please check them out during this brief timeout. The 2020 Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference in Miami, February 24th and 25th is the premier gathering of cannabis entrepreneurs and investors in North America. No other conference offers the level of access and seamlessness of interaction between entrepreneurs building future billion-dollar cannabis enterprises and the investors whose capital will make that happen. CannabisRadio.com welcomes listeners to register for the event for 30% off using promo code CannabisRadio at BenzingaCannabisConference.com. The 2020 Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference in Miami, February 24th and 25th. Register now for 30% off using promo code CannabisRadio at BenzingaCannabisConference.com. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. My guests say Razzie Berry. We're talking about nature, naturopathic medicine, as well as the concept of prevention and preventing disease. Empower people to live a naturopathic lifestyle. Get to know your body, understand its rhythms, remove toxins, and use natural alternatives whenever possible. 90 to 95% of cancers are due to environment and lifestyle risk factors. That's a huge number. That means that cancer is preventable. The concierge for better living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Get paid for your opinions about cannabis. Cannabis Insight Collective pays you when you provide your opinions. It's as easy as one, two, three. One, sign up and answer a quick survey that tells us a little about you. Two, get connected and we'll reach out when there's a good match for you to participate in. Three, inspire and be rewarded. Your opinion matters, so share your opinion with us and receive a reward for your thoughts. 
Help elevate your favorite brands in the cannabis industry with your input by going to CannabisInsightCollective.com. We're back on the field of play with more Winning with Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. So, Riley, we were discussing previously kind of the very grueling nature of the role that you, um, you know, sought to uh, absorb in the NHL, that of the enforcer. I feel like there's kind of a finite lifetime to a role like that because you can only withstand so much punishment, uh, you know, both on the physical side and then obviously the, left, the spiritual and emotional. Um, you were talking earlier, I remember you mentioned how difficult it was, especially in your youth, to see you know other players express themselves on the ice with a certain level of kind of virtuosity that um, you necessarily couldn't, given how limited the role is. I can't help but think that that spiritually had to deplete you, knowing that uh, you know in your heart you felt that you were compatible with them and um, you know could skate just as elegantly and were capable of a lot of the physicality that uh, you know that a lot of your contemporaries were. Um, is, is that a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I saw some of these guys getting drafted and some of these guys playing in the NHL. I was like, man, I, I can do that. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, mean, I, I grew up playing with some of these guys, you so, know, yeah, it was definitely my, my, my way of thinking for sure. So well, during your, your time in the NHL and previously, um, when did you first discover cannabis and, when did it start to play kind of a more instrumental role in terms of shaping who you are, um, both as a person and, you know, as important as, as a player as well? Well, I got introduced to cannabis uh, in a very recreational setting at the age of 15. My first experience was a negative one. Uh, you know, I remember it like it was yesterday as well. It was, um, you know, it was borderline terrifying. I you know, overconsumed some oil dabs, <laughs> honestly, and uh, I was turned off by it. Um, it wasn't until I actually moved away from home to Prince Albert where I got reintroduced to it again in a recreational setting, not understanding that it was medicine and therapeutic and how to dose and all these different things. I, I realize now I just overconsumed that first time, but um, the second time was dry herb and uh, you know it resonated with me a lot more. Um, but again, not understanding um, what it really was because a lot of the times there was drinking involved and you know you're mixing the two and it's, it was more seen as like a party thing and then it took me a couple of years to really um, start dialing it in where I was consuming it without alcohol because I felt like there was it always came hand in hand you know hockey players and beer drinking and you know cannabis and all this stuff it's kind of like one big mishmash but um, it really wasn't until I turned pro at the age of 20 when I decided to be the fighter I, I became was when cannabis really started to resonate with me on how it was actually making me feel. I, I guess I became more emotionally intelligent at the time where I was like, oh, wow, okay, well, I got this new type of anxiety because now I'm fighting every night or trying to. And, you know, preparing to fight brings on an interesting type of anxiety that most people don't really understand. So there's performance anxiety, there's basic, you know, life anxiety. And then now there's this, this whole other dimension of anxiety with fighting. And that's when I started to identify with cannabis helping me with that. So it would help me manage the anxiety the night before a game and help me sleep. Um, you know, so you could throw that under the, the category of therapeutic. I still didn't know that it was, you know, medical, you know, if you want to call it that. I didn't really understand enough about health and wellness. I was, you know, more into fitness and, and lifting and training, but not so much 
wellness and, and holism. So I use cannabis through basically from 16 years old to, well, to the present, my whole hockey career, every single night. Um, it was just like Atlanta being just a go-to. Um, again, really not understanding it. There's obviously some other substance abuse that I engaged in because I was, you know, if just swallowed up into the, um, the culture of, of sports, which is again, a lot of partying booze, um, the other street drugs. Um, but thank God I was still using cannabis because I mean, I could have been one of these guys that are, you know, dependent on Ambien and, and muscle relaxers and all these other things. Uh, so I was doing myself a service without really knowing it because I was still, you know, brainwashed by the propaganda that I'd been taught and, um, that cannabis was a bad thing. And, you know, but it always resonated with, with me. And um, besides that first time, which I never thought I was going to die. Um, and uh, it was uh, it, it was something that I, I leaned on based on a feeling. You know, there was no science that, that I was aware of back then. No one was teaching me about it. Um, it was mainly just going on a gut feeling on how it was making me feel. And, uh, you know, I misused cannabis too. I realized, you know, there's a lot of times I'd drink all night and then I was so hung over the next morning. I'd wake up and smoke before practice just, just to mitigate the, the hangover. So, um, I've learned did, a lot. Did, did it work? Absolutely. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I mean, it would be, I don't know. I don't know anything else that can help with a hangover better than cannabis. And, um, you know, but misusing it, misusing the alcohol, obviously, and misusing, I mean, to misusing the cannabis. I mean, that, and then I guess I was technically using it for medical purposes, right? Nausea or whatever else you want to call it. But, yeah. um, but my relationship has changed with cannabis, uh, obviously, um, since, since I played and retired until um, now. And basically, when I retired, I, I just became so, more, so much more mindful in all things in my life, especially with my cannabis use and my relationship to cannabis. And, um, it's been interesting how, you know, I always went from like thinking that you have to have, you know, a certain amount to, you know, for, to, to, to feel an effect, if you want to call it that, where now it's more like, okay, yeah, well, you can just do that, you know, unquantified amount or whatever you want to, you know, do with throwing your bowl. Uh, but now it can be, we can be so precise with it almost microdose it, um, and use it as energy. And, you know, so now then I went from, you know, this always smoke before training, like lifting weights and stuff like that to really being mindful about it, doing yoga and, you know, using it as a meditative tool and, you know, just different, just different, uh, uh, you know, positive ways to use cannabis, but it's it certainly came with a, a consciousness shift, you know, again, I removed all these other toxic destructive drugs that I was engaging in and became, it's more holistic again, reeling in my diet, diet, and just um, became more plant-based and just more in tune with how the food was making me feel, and then really just kind of being more in tune with how cannabis was making me feel, um, even using it throughout the day, which I really never did before. It was more, you know, after after practice, after you know, after a game type of thing. So um, it's amazing evolution for sure. I got a quick question for you regarding cannabis culture in the NHL. I don't want to draw any kind of false assumptions and I've heard a lot of speculation in terms of how pervasive it is um, to kind of varying degrees of 70 to 80 percent and it's hard to know exactly how to validate it but I, I do know this that you know you were in a particular sport which was far more progressive than any of the other uh, more prominent sports in America by a long shot uh, they really you know were kind of ahead of the curve um, NHL that is in terms of testing procedures in terms of their very relaxed 
stance on punishing offenders and kind of creating a, a, a sense of acceptance and normalization um, for cannabis users in the NHL. And it's, I was reading a stat a couple of days ago, which was uh, quite salient of the 31 teams in the NHL, 28 playing states where players have access to legal marijuana, whether it be you know, for medicinal or recreational purposes. Yeah. It's really significant, and I'm sure that was very much the impetus for um, you know the NHL commissioner taking the stance that they have. Uh, so my question to you is, from your perspective, just during your time on the ice and off the ice, uh, was is it was it pretty widespread? Um, and, and it might be hard to gauge kind of today's game since you've kind of been out of it, but something tells me you're still involved in the community, um, quote unquote. Is it? Is it enjoying a kind of a resurgence of popularity? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No doubt. Um, you know, just going back from all the teams that I'd played for, um, whether it was junior hockey, central hockey league, um, East coast hockey league, American hockey league, NHL, <clears throat> there was always, I'd say 40 to 50% of those guys that were openly using cannabis. And uh, obviously there was some older guys, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you know, quietly using cannabis, you know, because they were just weren't so open with it. Um, but now you got a whole other dimension of cannabis based products that don't, you know, have don't have THC at all, or, you know, s super low amounts of THC that fall, you know, under industrial hemp, um, or, or even, you know, low grade, um, you know, medical cannabis products or rec, rec products, but um, such an array of different products now in delivery systems. Um, you know, I've been recently in the, you know, say the Flyers locker room, and it's a uh, it's pretty open about cannabis um, within the players in a totally different culture than when I was around even. It's only been nine years. Um, you know, everyone's using CBD products and, and a lot of these guys are using some sort of, you know, vape cartridges and, and whatnot. Again, the whole recovery component, you know, you know, you went from this archaic way of thinking of recovering with booze, which, you know, you're self-medicating, you know, you're going to unwind and you're drinking, which is obviously dehydrating your body terrible for concussions and brain health to guys that are pouring so much more money into, you know, resources like training in the off season and, and, and recovery and, and just general uh, wellness to lengthen their career prevention of injury. So now guys are, you know, more mindful and they're using cannabis based products. So I, I, honestly, I mean, I'd be shocked if 95% of the NHL is not using some sort of cannabis based product now. Honestly, with Canada going full, fully legal, um, and again, like the stat you said, with all the, with the states have legal programs, um, not that, that was deterring guys to, to begin with, but it's just so available and it's so normalized now, and it really lands up being such a positive tool for athletes because of a really calming, the calming nature of the cannabis, the recovery process. If you look at sports as work versus recovery, I don't know of a better tool to recover. It's high anti-inflammatory, manage pain, manage anxiety, promote sleep, and it's a neuroprotectant. So for contact sports, brain health, it's a, it's, it's a no-brainer. So um, just from my experience of playing and, and you know, also being in the locker room post-playing uh, and seeing the conversation and you know, you know, supplying these guys with CBD products as well, is like, yeah, just the culture has changed tremendously in, 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 a, in, a, in a, such a positive fashion. That's heartening to know that it's being so warmly embraced. Um, I imagine it was just not quite at the scale that you, uh, you called attention to. That's a pretty significant number. We got to take a, a quick intermission and then we're going to pick up right where we left off. Our advertisers are winners. 
Please check them out during this brief timeout. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Dazed and infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at s-h-o-o-g-i-e-s dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. We're back on the field of play with more Winning with Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. Riley, in our prior discussion, you were noting uh, the surge of popularity in the NHL and just more broadly across the sports world, which is largely what motivated me to create a kind of an ongoing program to, to talk about these really important matters. Um, and, and I know you played a really central role in helping to kind of raise awareness uh, within the sports community. Tell me a little bit about um, first the Hemp Heals Foundation, what you're doing, and then secondly, Body Check Wellness and um, yeah, how you're kind of raising the profile of cannabis, um, you know, in the in the sports realm. Yeah, sure. So when I retired, one of the first books I read uh, post-retirement was a book called Hemp for Health. And it changed my life when I started to understand these different dimensions of the plant. You know, um, you talk about uh, cannabis as a medicine, but there's all these other industrial applications to the plant, fiber, building materials, fuel. Um, and a food, a highly digestible protein source. So I started transitioning, you know, my mainly my protein to um, more of a plant-based, hemp-based uh, diet, uh, protein diet, and um, and just all these different things together made me realize that I needed to stand up to something, stand up for something bigger than I am, and that was, you know, Mother Nature and a plant that was misunderstood and you know and 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 shunned almost. Uh, as a, as a resource. So, um, I started a nonprofit in 2011, the Hemp Heals Foundation, and it was mainly just a, a music festival in Philly that we, well, we're still, we're still doing it actually, um, you know, nine years later. 
and it's grown some it's grown some tentacles since then but um it was just kind of just uh to raise some awareness and educate people on what cannabis hemp is like, what it, what are we talking about when we talk about cannabis and i think most people have this very narrow sighted um vision as just you know cheech and chung laying on your couch and and, and blowing o's out of your mouth you know and i think you know, that's just ignorance. And uh, the plant is so much bigger than that. Um, you know, I think over 25,000 uses. That was back in 1937 that um, it was stated. And, um, you know, then you, understand, then you understand these other minor cannabinoids um, and CBD and all these non-intoxicating cannabinoids. And there's another dimension of medicine slash therapeutic hemp um, for recovery. So the nonprofit really kind of put me out there speaking publicly about it. I actually ended up starting another nonprofit called Athletes for Care, which is more using the sports platform to normalize cannabinoids with other athletes and other sports. But, um, you know, the hemp heels, we did work, you know, hempcrete workshops and, you know, different uh, types of events to bring awareness to the, the whole um, hemp and cannabis plant. And then eventually it led me into say, okay, well, guess what? I, I've recognized the opioid crisis I want to be on the right side of history. Uh, I don't want to just be talking about this. I actually want to provide solutions for people. Um, and that's when Body Check Wellness was uh, created and it was a hemp-derived CBD company. And um, as we know, the opioid crisis is running rampant, um, not just in this country, but, uh, you know, say globally, but, you know, mainly in this country. And, um, and it's about harm reduction, substance abuse. I've seen it. I've been a part of it. Uh, I've seen so many guys go through the substance abuse program for alcohol and, and opioids and even sleeping pills. Um, and this, is, th this was a tool that I could, you know, introduce to people, not just athletes, but all people as a, as a recovery tool. You know, again, managing the, the inflammation and pain, they come hand in hand. Managing the anxiety and stress, they come hand in hand. And then managing the sleep component. Uh, which generally is, is, is in line with you know, managing anxiety and stress and, and knowing all this and then, you know, finding out the U S government holds a patent on cannabinoids as neuroprotectants. So that's when it really put me over the edge. I said, I gotta, I got, I gotta get this out there to the, to the public and, 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 you know, be on the right side of history with this. So that was when body check wellness was born just, uh, you know, over a year ago. And, um, it was, it was that it's harm reduction it's, um, it's, 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 it's giving these guys a sustainable tool to lean on because, you know, inside the locker room, you know, if the players aren't, you know, mindful enough to get these things on their own, you know, they succumb to, to the, to the ambience and the, and the anti-inflammatories and the painkillers. And, you know, they're all trying to achieve the same thing. It's just amazing how different, you know, one tool is to the next, you know, one can put you in the grave and the other one can give you, you know, a sense of wellness. So it's, uh, um, it's, it's, it's been amazing. You know, I'm still doing a ton of education. There's still a lot of ignorance around cannabis, um, and hemp and, you know, the differences between CBD products and you know, hemp derived CBD and THC and all this stuff. So, um, a lot of work to do and we haven't even really scratched the surface. Honestly, the, the science is, um, very, very, very basic right now, base level. Um, you know, there's all these other minor cannabinoids talk about CBG and CBN and all these different ones that can, you know, really target sleep or really target, you know, brain health and, and whatnot. So there's a lot, a lot to do on the medicine side of it. And there's obviously a lot to do um, on the industrial side of it. You know, um, the, the, the economics in America were founded uh, on hemp. And, you know, now we live in an industrial revolution where we've outlawed mother nature and, you know, the, the synthetic world's thrived. So now we're kind of, you know, since 2018, this, this federal farm bill was introduced that allows farmers to grow hemp again. So, um, you know, low hanging fruit is the CBD, but uh, a lot of work to do on the industrial and I'm going to you know, push forward in that regard, but uh, constantly speaking about this positively and 
and, and showing that uh, the cannabis plant is an industrial resource. It's arguably the most important resource um, known to man. And, uh, you know, without it, we're self-destructing. I couldn't agree with you more and I uh, appreciate your very passionate rendering of, uh, of the issue. And um, personally, I really admire, you know, how you've been able to, to tackle it in a, and kind of be on the front lines and do it in such a, a genuine way. Um, so hats off to you, Riley, and thank you for joining the program and personally to um, following the next steps of, of Body Check and, and your foundation and uh, wish you all the best of luck. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.